ask you to be found the book of Colossians, chapter 1. Colossians, chapter 1, we'll begin to read in verse number 12. We started a series in the book of Colossians last Sunday morning. This morning I want to speak to you on this subject. It's a question. Is Jesus Lord of your life? Is Jesus Lord of your life? Colossians chapter 1, we'll begin to read in verse 12. I'll invite you to stand, all those that can and are able, in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. We're in Colossians chapter 1, begin to read in verse number 12. The Bible says these words, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him, and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross, and you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that your precious Holy Spirit that Phyllis sang about this morning, how God would open our hearts and minds to the truth, God, of, of this word. Lord, unless you work and unless you speak, it matters not what's done here today. Father, I pray you'll convict the lost this morning. Whoever's here who's never truly been born again, who's never repented and by faith trusted Jesus to be Lord of their life, I pray you'll convict that person of their, their spiritual state before you, that they're dead spiritually. If they died today, they go to hell because they've never been born again. And God, I pray they'll choose today to turn and receive Jesus Christ because of the work that you do in their heart first, and they will to turn and trust Christ. And God, I pray you'll challenge us concerning that question. Is Jesus truly Lord of our life today? Everyone who names the name of Christ, is he Lord today in our life? And God, I pray as we come to a time of invitation, as we're reminded again from Scripture what all Jesus has done for us and is going to do for us one day, God, I pray that whatever sin stands between a believer and Christ today, God, they'll be quick to deal with it. And we'll leave, Lord, with a right relationship, ready to face this new week on fire and faithfully serving you as we live on mission. And this is our mission field in these days. Bless this time. Your will be done in hearts and lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I invite you to be seated. Uh, geographically, uh, Colossae was just about 125 miles um, from Ephesus. Not that far, but far enough on foot. And uh, verse number 7, Epaphras had brought the gospel there uh, from Ephesus, most certainly, 
uh, from, to Colossae from Ephesus through the ministry of, of Paul. Uh, verse number 7 gives evidence that, it was, that Epaphras had been a faithful minister of Christ there on that behalf. Verse 3, Paul says, we, we we're praying for you. Verse 4 of chapter 1, we heard of your faith. We preached last week of all that God had done in their midst and was doing. But Paul now in prison receives a word from Epaphras of some challenges uh, the church in Colossae is, is facing. Certainly for all the churches, there was the Roman occupation of the world. And remember that Caesar, you know, really didn't care about anybody's religion where they were. He just wanted to keep political control. And so he would allow everyone to worship how they wanted to. But one day a year, everyone where Rome occupied, they had to come to Rome and drop a little incense uh, or to come to a designated place that they would decree in their area. And to drop just a little piece of incense on an altar whereby a little smoke and smell would go up. And from their lips, they had to, decry, to cry out that Caesar is Lord. And so that's the, one of the challenges the church was facing in the early days. And if they did not do that, it made it very difficult to buy, to sell, or to trade. But the immediate threat that they faced day in and day out was a group of people that were called Gnostics. So Gnosticism was uh, the definition of their beliefs. It was a cult of spiritualists who believed that they had a higher level of knowledge, a more, a more fuller level of knowledge than the church had. And so you had these new baby Christians who hadn't been discipled, and they didn't know what to believe. And so the devil was using this false doctrine to really confuse those Christians there in Colossae. And Paul heard word of it. Uh, these Gnostics were composed of several things that combined really made a recipe for spiritual disaster. Uh, their recipe was they had just a smidge of biblical truth, uh, just enough to be dangerous, but not enough to be clear. Uh, they had a smidge of Judaism, um, which, you know, that thrilled some people. They had just a smidge of Eastern mysticism, and they had just a little smidge of Greek philosophy. And you mix that all together and baked it, and it made for one big poisonous cookie is what it made. Just spiritual poison. And so the people were very confused, and it was pulling them away from the sureness that they had in Christ. Gnostics believed that matter, and you need to understand this, they believed that matter was evil. Uh, well, flesh is matter. And so therefore they believed that n there's no possible way that Jesus Christ became incarnate. He never was the God-man. He never, John chapter 1 and verse 14 was an absolute lie. To them. The Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. They believed there was no way that that was possible. Well, friend, a spirit can't hang on a cross. Only a body can. And so that truth, that mattered. And so the people were very confused in this. Well, in summary, Christ's life, death, and resurrection were not sufficient to meet man's greatest needs. They had higher truths that needed to be accepted and adopted if one was going to find their fullness in life. And so Paul writes a letter to remind them that Christ is our sufficiency in and for all things. You know, the Gnostics, they laughed at the idea that Jesus should be Lord of someone's life. You know, and that's not much different from a lot of people today. There are people in churches that laugh at the thought that Jesus should be Lord over someone's life. And Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote this passage of Scripture to remind them and share four reasons why Jesus most certainly should be Lord of my life and because of yours. Number one, He should be Lord of our life because of what we've been delivered from. Number one, because of what we've 
been delivered from. Look at your Bibles again in verse number 13. The Bible says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness. Well, that's speaking about Christ. He has delivered us. That's, well, He there is speaking about God the Father. He's delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. But the us is talking about the church, those who have repented, those who had been saved. Verse 13 says that he's, he's redeemed us. He's delivered us from the kingdom uh, of darkness. Ephesians chapter 6 and in verse number 12. And, and Ephesians and Colossians really have a lot of similarities uh, in uh, different uh, challenges, different groups that the devil was working from, but a lot of the same messages. Verse number 12, Ephesians chapter 6 Paul reminded the church at Ephesus, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And so Paul was reminding those believers in Colossae that they had been, they had been uh, redeemed and they had been delivered uh, from this kingdom of darkness uh, that Satan is the prince over. Verse number 21 uh, of the same chapter, Paul says, And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. Again, when he's saying you in verse number 21, he's speaking of those that Paul wrote about in verse number 4. He says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all saints. And so you really have to separate this from the Doctrine of the Good Baptist here in the South again, where everyone equates just joining the church with salvation. None of these people had been delivered from darkness because they had joined a church, because they had stepped into a river and were baptized, because they signed a card, or just because they came to church. They had been delivered from the kingdom of darkness because when the gospel had been preached to them, the Holy Spirit convicted them of their lostness. And don't miss this part. They chose to repent, that is, to turn from all their sin, to concur that they were a sinner, to confess their sin, to want to turn from that sin, to change direction, and then by faith they trusted Jesus to be Lord of their life. Paul said, and, and you who were once alienated, uh, that is, you were, you were separated from God, you were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled. Uh, that, that, that alienation is because... We've all sinned, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. And all people share that. And again, a verse that we shared Wednesday night that really conveyed and challenged that you need to understand, you need to be able to quote these verses, to, to be able to share these verses to people. But just one we're going to look at is Isaiah chapter 59 and verse number 2. The, the Lord was speaking through Isaiah to a nation who had turned away from the Lord. And they needed to know that they were not in a right relationship with God because they had sin in their life. In Isaiah chapter 59 and verse number 2, Isaiah told the nation of Israel that their iniquities had separated them from God and their sins had hidden his face from them. And so that's what sin does. And Paul was trying to remind these, these believers here at Colossae that they were, they were once alienated from God. They had no fellowship with him. They were completely separated from him. Uh, because of sin that they had in life. And you who were once alienated, look at verse 21. He says, and enemies in your mind by wicked works. 
That's, that's how God sees sin. You see, the devil tries to normalize sin, to make it funny. You know, just, I don't know how many weeks ago, but several weeks ago was the Super Bowl. And there were a lot of people that tuned into the Super Bowl, not to watch the Super Bowl, but to watch commercials. And people live for it every year just to see different commercials. Now, who's going to have the funniest commercial and the cutest commercial? Friend, I promise you this. The commercial that most people probably laughed at and thought the cutest was the one that made light of the things of God and made much of what God hates and calls sin. Just, just made light and laughed at and joked. But the Bible sees it as this, friend, that when, when we have sin in our lives, we're enemies. We're enemies of God. And it's through what Jesus did on the cross for us that we've been able to be delivered from that power over our lives. Verse number 21 again says, not only were you alienated, but you were enemies in your mind by wicked works. Uh, that word mind there means your imaginations. So the, the things that you thought of, that you lived for, that you worked for, that you, you, can, you, you conspired in your mind. They made you enemies of God. Much was the case when Noah began his ministry in Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 5. The Bible says that as the Lord looked upon all that was taking place during this time when he began to call Noah to a ministry, the Bible says the Lord saw in verse number 5 of Genesis 6 that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Now listen, and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. They weren't living for God. They didn't want to honor God or serve God. But day in, day out, the thoughts of their heart were evil continually. My friend, the Bible says when Jesus begins to come again, it'll be just like it was in the days of Noah. Friend, that's the day that we're living in. Absolute wickedness day in and day out in people's hearts. And, and, and the result of that is the Bible says we're enemies of God because of, of our mind and, and our, our wicked works. But through what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, friend, we can be rescued from sin's possession by first being redeemed from sin's penalty. You can't be delivered from Satan's grip on your life, friend, until you're first delivered from sin's penalty on your life. Well, why should Jesus be Lord of my life? Well, number one, Paul says, because of what we've been delivered from. But then number two, because of who we've been redeemed through. Who it is that did this work. He wanted to remind them that it wasn't through higher learning. It wasn't because they obtained a certain level of knowledge that now they were right for God. It's because of what Jesus Christ did upon the cross and they placed their life upon his finished work. Look what the Bible says in verse number 13 of our text in Colossians chapter 1. He says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness, now notice this, and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Well, verse 13 ends with these words, uh, the Son of His love. So now the focus is on Jesus. God has done a work. God has set a plan in motion that delivers us from Satan's kingdom of darkness. But now the focus begins to turn to the Son of God. The Son, and then verse number 14 says, in whom? So verse 13 sets up for who the topic's going to be in verse 14. The Son of His love in whom, look at verse 14, we have redemption through his blood and now the forgiveness of sins. It's through what Christ did upon the cross for us that we can have that kind of freedom. Again, Paul writing to a very troubled church. I love the books of First and Second Corinthians, 
But really, there's some great truth. But you can, especially if you serve in any form of leadership within ministry, you can just sense the pain uh, that those in leadership had to be going through as they worked and tried to encourage this church. And Paul was trying to get the church of Corinth back grounded in the basics, back grounded in truth, to get their eyes off themselves and to get their eyes on Jesus Christ. And Paul reminded them in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 4. He says, For I delivered to you first of all, that is, when I came and began to do ministry there in Corinth, he said, I delivered to you first of all that which I also received. Paul says, that which changed my life. Here it is, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul says the reason, if, if, if you're part of the church in Corinth, that, that if you can name the name of Christ and say, yes, I've been born again, he says it's not because of anything you've done, it's because of what Christ has done for you. And you responded to that gospel. He was trying to remind them of who that we had been redeemed from. Remember, the Gnostics were trying to minimize the ministry of Christ, to minimize the person of Christ. And friend, that's the day in which we're living. People are seeking to minimize Jesus Christ, just to make him a byword, to make him a joke, to make him just a, a feeble little carpenter hanging on the cross, to make Friend, he is king of kings, he is Lord of Lords. He's our soon-coming King. He is the Lamb without spot and without blemish. It is through His finished work on the cross, friend, that we can say we've been redeemed from the penalty of sin. And so Paul was trying to remind them of that truth and to encourage them that they were once sinners. And there's a penalty for sin. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death. Ezekiel 18, 20. The soul that sinneth shall surely die. And that penalty, Christ bore in his own body. Look, look at our text again, verse number 14. He says, in whom, that's Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood. Well, how can we, what, did, did, you know, did, did Jesus have a blood transfusion? Did he donate blood? No, friend, it's the blood that he shed until he died. Leviticus 17, 11 says that the life of the flesh is in the blood. Remember when Adam and Eve had once sinned in the garden. There they were, hiding in the bushes, naked, trying to hide the shame of their sin with fig leaves. And God came looking for them, the Bible says, in the cool of the day. And he called for Adam and said, Adam, where are you? And Adam had hid himself from an all-seeing, all-knowing God, trying to hide his nakedness through sheer human effort. And the Bible says in the book of Genesis, it's, the book of Genesis is a book of firsts. Adam and Eve had to see something that they had never seen before, and that was blood. God had to kill an animal, the book of Genesis says, that he could clothe Adam and Eve in a way to hide the shame of their sin that they could not do. The animal had to die. And verse number 14 says that it's through Jesus Christ, friend, that we have redemption from sin's penalty through his blood. That is, Christ had to die. Remember when John saw Jesus walking up the, the side of the river that day, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. God's precious Lamb died at a place called Calvary. The Apostle Paul says to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Be clothed in His righteousness and it alone. That's what Christ did for us. Listen, Jesus deserves, friend, and not only deserves, He demands to be Lord of my life because it's through Him that I've been redeemed. And all people have, and they, needed, they need to be reminded of that. 
It's that we're able to experience the forgiveness of sins. Just what Randy sang about. Not, not just, well, we'll put it aside. We'll cover it for right now. Or we'll just we'll set this in a file cabinet and we'll we'll get it out later. You know, it's like when you're you're on a trip with your kids or grandkids and they just I mean they blow it and they blow it bad and they're hoping you and you say, look, we'll deal with this when we get home. And they begin to pray like the woods are on fire. I hope they forget. I hope they forget because it's just not a convenient time to deal with it. And if you're right, you'll deal with it when you get home. Friend, listen. When God says you're forgiven, he doesn't say, and not listen, you're going to deal with it in heaven too. Forgiven means it's been paid for in full. Praise his name. Friend, there's a lot of things that I've got to deal with day in and day out, and you do too. You've got challenges. You've got adversities. There are things in the future that are unknown that, that, that really weigh on us. Not that we're worried to the point of sin, but it's things that we're concerned about we're going to have to deal with. I'm so thankful that one day I don't have to answer for my sin. It's been forgiven. It is covered, buried in the seas of his forgetfulness. And because of that, friend, the Bible says in verse number 20, look at it, and by him we've been reconciled, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, that's Jesus, whether things on earth, things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Paul's already said we were enemies. Well, now we're not enemies anymore. When you repent and you trust Jesus to be Lord of your life, John 3, 7, you've been born again, you've been reconciled to God, and now there is peace. You are his child. We've been reconciled because sin's penalty he took upon himself. Verse number 22 says, In the body of his flesh... Through death. I know there are a lot of people, as we approach Easter, there'll be some of these shows by these, you know, uh, Bible theologians that wouldn't know God if they met him in the road. They'll be on the History Channel or the Discovery Channel. And they'll have some shows that say, you know, historically we can prove, you know, really, Jesus didn't really die. He just, he just swooned. There's no way that a man could die and rise again on the third day. And you know what? They're exactly right. There's no way that a man could die in three days rise again. But friend, the God-man, Jesus Christ, can do it because with God, all things are possible. That's what he did. He died and he rose again. He bore, verse number 22, in the body of his flesh. In the, and, and that really ticked the Gnostics off. Why? Because all flesh was evil, not the flesh of Jesus. How could it be so? How could it be possible? Because God bypassed... Listen, Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, By one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, after that, every single child that was ever born through the natural and right relationship of a husband and a wife, every child that was born by the process of that natural process that God made was born with one thing, and that's a sin nature. They're born man, they're born woman. But they were all born with a sin nature. But when God bypassed Joseph and the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, Jesus was all flesh, but he was all God, but he didn't have a sin nature. Isn't that amazing? And so he bore that in the body of his perfect flesh, verse 22, through death. And look what it says, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. And so when the Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 14, that the Word God became flesh, friend, listen, the Word God became flesh and dwelt among us. 
That's exactly what it meant. God himself put on human flesh, walked this world for 33 and one-half years in sandaled feet, and then one day was bodily nailed to a cross, bodily died, and then bodily walked out of that grave, friend, with a glorified body that we're going to have one of these days just like him. And so why does Jesus deserve to be Lord of my life? Because, friend, we've been reconciled through him and through him alone. Number three, Christ deserves to be Lord of my life, friend, because of what we've been qualified to. Paul was trying to share with this church at Colossae that they need to keep their focus on him. Push away all of this false doctrine and get your eyes on Jesus Christ. Let your life be fully submitted to his lordship because of what we've been qualified to. Look at verse number 12. Paul says we're giving thanks to the Father. Look what it says there. Who qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light. He's, he's, he's qualified. Now he begins to talk about in, in the light. Uh, that, that now we're no longer in darkness. Now we've already seen that, that we were in darkness. Verse 13, he's delivered us from the power of darkness, but now we've been qualified to be a part of the light. He speaks about light that we're able to, to be in. That word qualified means to, he's, he's made us able to be partakers of, of an inheritance. He's, he's, he's fit us in such a way now that what separated us has qualified us to do that. You know, if you were to, to go to a, a football game, somebody asked me if I'd I didn't know what they were, Alex asked me if I watched a basketball game. I said, what's, what's a basketball? I didn't know there was such a thing. But if you, I don't like basketball. You really, y'all are no fun sometimes. Anyway, <laughs> so if you're standing outside the basketball coliseum and you want, to, you want to go inside, what qualifies you to be able to get inside is to have a ticket. You, that, you say, well, I want to go in. Everybody wants to, you got to have a ticket. The only way you can get in, the only way you're qualified to get in, is to have a ticket. What qualifies you and I to experience all the blessings and the inheritance that God has prepared for all those, friend, that are going to be saved is Jesus Christ. It's what, and so it's, it's He that, He's our ticket. He's, he's what qualifies us to do that, to be a part of, of, of the light of the gospel. And verse number 27 tells us what the inheritance is. Now again, verse 12 says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. You know, and if we were to, if we had the time and we were in a different setting than we are now, and I handed out some papers, so I want you to write down the, the you know, the, the, the number one thing you think that inheritance is. It would be a varied list, possibly. Uh, not that everybody doesn't know already, but it would probably be a very list. Somebody would say, you know, it would be a, a, a mansion or heaven. Or my, that inheritance is a, is a new body. But friend, the, the Bible, I'm glad, answers this question, what really our inheritance is. And then all those other things really just spur off of what the main inheritance is. Look, look forward in a few verses to verse number 27, where Paul says, To them, that's those who've repented, those who've trusted Christ, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, listen, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Who is our inheritance? What is our inheritance when we repent and trust Jesus Christ? Our inheritance is Jesus Christ. It's Him. Friend, it's, that's, there's nothing, and, and probably some people are saying like, is that it? Friend, listen, that's, it's not just that that's it, that's everything. 
He is everything. Our, if you've got Jesus, friend, you've got everything you're ever going to need. He is our sufficiency. And that's why Paul's trying to tell them, that's why Jesus needs to be Lord of your life. Don't miss. The Gnostics were saying, you guys are missing out. You say you've repented and trusted Christ. No, we've got some doctrines that we need to sow into your mind to really, to really fully complete you. And Paul was saying, no, that there's always learning. He says to the church at Philippi, I haven't arrived. There's, there's more things always to learn about God. But he was trying to remind them, when you've got Jesus Christ, you've got everything. You've got everything. He is our inheritance. He is our sufficiency. And so he is our inheritance. Verse number 19 says, For it pleased the Father that in him all fullness should dwell. That's in Jesus Christ. That means there's nothing lacking. In Jesus Christ is everything, friend, that man will ever need. Everything. Now, the, the Gnostics said, no, but you're missing this. Paul says through the authority of the Holy Spirit, no, if you've got Christ, you've got it all. And he says, and so it's through Christ that we've been qualified to, to, to receive this inheritance. You see, lost people, friend, they may have tons of religion. Tons of religion. They may have tons of Bibles in their house. They may serve. But here's one thing they don't have. They don't have Jesus Christ. They may have him up here, but he doesn't live here. And when you repent and trust Christ, friend, the Bible tells us we've been qualified to be partakers of the inheritance in the light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He says, I'm the light of the world. You were once walking in darkness. Now you can walk in light, he says, because I live in your heart and in your life. Ephesians chapter 5. And in verses 7 through 14, Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus. And he was trying to remind them again of, of, that they had their sufficiency was in Jesus Christ. And Paul says, you know, all of, all of the lostness, all of, all of those who would try to deceive you with empty words, verse 6 of Ephesians chapter 5. He says, therefore do not be partakers with them, because their lives are marked by darkness. Paul says in verse number 8, now listen, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable in the Lord. Verse 11, he says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, this is the Lord, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Would you listen to me, friend? It's a dark day. It's darker than it was last year. Darker than it was two years ago. It's a dark day. But friend, I'm glad there's a light living in my heart that's brighter than all the darkness Satan can ever bring. He'll shine us home. How can I walk each day? How can I make? Because the light of the world lives in my heart. And it's because of Jesus I've been qualified to be a partaker of that light. And friend, again, we spend so much time sometimes arguing with disciples that want to get so close to the fire without getting burned. They, they, want, to, they want to straddle the line of darkness. Paul says, no, push away from that. Get further into the light. Be, be children of the light. He said he's qualified us 
to do that. We've been qualified to receive him. And Jesus said, friend, in Matthew chapter 5 and verses 14, 16, because in John chapter 8, verse 12, and in John chapter 9 and verse number 5, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. That's what he said. But he gave the church a ministry. Listen, in Matthew chapter 5, this is what Jesus said in verses 14 through 16. He says, you are the light of the world. A city that cannot be set on a hill, it cannot be hidden. He says, nor do they light a lamp and then put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Now listen to what he says in verse number 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Friend, God could have picked any time in human history for you to be born and for me to be born, but he chose these days for us to live here. These are the days that he chose for you to live here. These are the days he chose for this church to be here. And he's given us a mission, friend, not to whine about how dark it is, but to turn on the light in Jesus' name. And I know, friend, I don't like watching the news. I don't like seeing what's happening in the world. But stop cursing the darkness and let the light of light cry and let the light of Christ shine in a world that's dark. That's what Jesus said we're to do. How can I do that? Because he qualified us to do it. He qualified us by what he did upon the cross. Why should Jesus be Lord of my life? Number four, and I close, because of what we've been conveyed into. What we've been conveyed into. We've, we've been delivered from. We, he should be Lord of my life because of who we've been reconciled through. It's him. Three, he should be Lord of my life because of what we've been qualified to. But number four, and I close, because of what we've been conveyed into. Look what verse number 13 of Colossians chapter 1 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness, and now we've been conveyed into the kingdom of the Son of His love. That word conveyed means we've, it's a transfer of citizenship. We, he says we've, we've been conveyed now into His kingdom. We were once strangers. I know, again, people think, you know, if you're born here in the South, you're born into a church, that really, you know, you're born safe. Far from the truth. You must be born again. John, if, listen, if there was anybody that should have been saved by their merits, it, surely it was Nicodemus. I mean, he forgot more about the law than most of us will ever know. But Jesus looked into that religious man's face in John chapter 3 and said, Buddy, you've got to be born again. You've, you've got to be born again. And so all people share that lostness. Because of what Christ did for us, friend, we're able to be conveyed to have a transferred citizenship. No longer from Satan's kingdom of darkness, now we're able to be conveyed into a kingdom of light. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 12 and verse number 19. Again, Paul wrote uh, to the church at Ephesus and he began to speak on that subject and, and to say in verse number 12 that at that time you, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. W what time was that? It's when they were, when they were lost. Paul says, but when you turned and trusted Christ, now that verse number 19, he says, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Isn't that something? Friend, listen, again, the outlook looks bad, but the up looks good. We've got a better place to go. And it's all because of what Christ has already, we've already been conveyed there. Listen, when, when soldiers deploy to a foreign field to fight, they don't lose their citizenship. 
They just go to represent their country in a foreign land. Friend, I want to tell you something. This world is in our home. Again, I'll share, you don't need to be so heavenly-minded, D.L. Moody says, that you're no earthly good. You need to have your feet on the ground. And we live in East Tennessee, but truly, friend, our ultimate home is we're from heaven, and the moment you got saved, your residence was conveyed to glory. And we're just here now on king's business. We're ambassadors. We're fighting for the cross. We're soldiers for the Lord Jesus Christ. The moment you trusted Christ, you've already been conveyed. We're just here fighting. And really when I think about that, it, it, it doesn't really matter to me now so much. I want to be a good steward. But, you know, if I don't get my bushes trimmed, it's not going to be a big deal because I'm not going to be there forever. Huh? You know, if you know, I want to take care of my property. But, but if I don't upgrade this part of my house, it really doesn't matter because I'm not keeping it. I've got a better one to go to. Where roaches and cinch bugs and termites never touch it again. Praise the Lord. Listen, there'll be no ladybugs that'll come through your window in glory. Can I hear it? Can I get a witness? No stink bugs in heaven. It's all because, listen, we've been conveyed. We've been conveyed. All because of what Jesus, we've been, our, our citizenship has been transferred to another place. Not a passport, but citizenship. Look at Verse number 13 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Now listen to me. This is where most... Everybody wants to shout about the new home. Everybody wants to shout about getting to go to the kingdom. But here's the part that Paul wanted them to hear, and I want you to hear. Every kingdom has a king. Every kingdom has a king. And Paul was reminding them that you've been conveyed into the kingdom of the Son of of his love. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus said, But seek ye first the kingdom of God. And the Jews were all about that. They're like, Absolutely. Rome's gone. Jesus, where do you want us to build your castle? And he says, Oh no. You've, you've, you've misunderstood. Palm Sunday. Brother Ray's going to be preaching for us as the Lord wills on Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday was all about when Christ came in and they, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Jesus has come. Rome's going to be gone. Jesus is here. And Jesus my kingdom's not of this world. As he stood before Pilate, and Pilate said, is this really your kingdom? He began to tell them, John chapter 18 and verse number 36, my kingdom kingdom is not of this world. Well, where was Christ's kingdom? It was a kingdom of hearts. When men and women repented of sin and trusted Jesus to be Lord of their life, friend, they were conveyed into the kingdom of His Son, conveyed to the kingdom of God that was, that was represented by His Son, Jesus Christ, and Jesus is the King. He's the King. And He's, he's always going to be the King. The question, does he continue to be king of you? If you've, never, if you've never bowed your knee to his kingship, I'm telling you, friend, based on the word of God, you've never been saved. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so every kingdom has a king, and it's a kingdom of hearts. And so Paul was trying to challenge him, is Jesus still king of your heart? It's just because there's a purpose. Verse number 16 says, For by him all things, this is Christ, all things were created. They're in heaven, they're on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions. Look at your Bible. Principalities or powers, all things were created through him 
and for him. All things were created through him. We'll say amen. You know, down with evolutionists, up with creationism, amen. But don't forget the last part. All things were created through him, but also what? For him. That means my life, my family, this church, this nation, this world, it's all made by him and it's all made for him. And that means he can do anything with it that he sees fit. Why? Because he's king. And the moment I got safe, friend, I got conveyed into his kingdom. He's king, and I am his subject. I'm his subject. And the reason so many Christians walk in utter defeat is this. They've got a lordship problem. They seek after all these things that Satan totes in front of them like a mule that's being led by a carrot on a stick, ever reaching out trying to grab it. They find no joy, no happiness. Why? Because, friend, they've been conveyed. If they've ever truly trusted Christ, their lives have been conveyed into a kingdom. And the only way you can have the joy of the Lord is for Jesus to sit on the throne of your heart. And Paul was trying to remind them of this. You exist for Him. Verse number 17, look at our text. It says, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. That means he's first, and all things are held together by him. He's the glue of the galaxy. I, it's, listen, it angers me, and I, but, I, but I feel pity when I see these politicians who are like, well, really, the greatest threat right now in the world is not you know, Russia and the Ukraine. It's global warming. I was like, will you shut up? Listen, the world's not going to blow up until Jesus wants it to blow up. He's spoken into existence, and friend, it'll not go out of existence until he says, be gone. Why? Because it consists together in him. At his word. The word of God says so right here. It, it, in him all things consist. Verse number 18. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, listen, that in all things, that's everything, he may have the preeminence. What is that? To be first place. Now, don't you listen to me. Look at me. That means your life. That means your life. Friend, I will tell you something. Jesus will never be for you in that second place. He'll never be second place. It's first or nothing. It's first or nothing. The Bible says, friend, he's earned that right. That in all things, he might have the preeminence. And that begins with my life. Verse number 22. And one, one of, listen, one of the ruling purposes, don't miss this. You see, so much, children, I was the same way when I was a kid. My mom and dad told me things that I didn't always understand, but that were for my benefit and my good. If I just simply trusted their process... I'd have known it had been for my good. Well, there, there are processes that God has in our life that the immature Christian doesn't understand. Well, how can that be good for Jesus to be Lord over all of my life? Well, one of the ruling purposes is in verse number 22. God's got a plan for you. Look at verse 22 of our text. It says, In the body of his flesh through death, when Christ is Lord of my life, in the body of his flesh through death, one of his ruling purposes is to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. That is, one day, friend, when Christ raptures the church and brings his bride to heaven, that he might present all of us the way he found us, holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. 
That is that we live lives after we were saved in such a way that it honors and glorifies Him. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. The author of Hebrews says, For it was fitting for Him, that's Jesus, from whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory. I want you to listen to me. I don't... I don't know all the things that are going to happen in the future, but I know this. One of these days, I'm going home to heaven with the Lord. I mean, I'm going to get to march in with the throng, looking at everything right behind Jesus. When God in glory sits on His throne, friends, I'm going to be a part of the bride. I'm going to be a part of the bride. The Bible says it's fitting that He'll bring many, many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through, through sufferings. For both He who sanctifies and he who are being sanctified are all one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Says there's, there's, there's something that God wants to do as he rules over our life. He's sanctifying us. Every day we're looking less like us and more like him. Romans 8, 28, friend, is a great promise that God works all things that come against us for our good and his glory. We don't always understand that when it's painful and hard. But the result is Romans 8, 29, that we might be further conformed to the image of Christ. Less like us and more like Jesus. That's one of his ruling purposes. Now listen, when Jesus is... You need to get this because Satan doesn't want you to get it. Why are so many people who name the name of Christ so miserable? I mean, just absolutely miserable. Now, no joy whatsoever. Because they're trying to live a life that God didn't intend them to live. And you can't sin success because whom the Lord loves, He chastens. One of God's ruling purposes in your life is this. When Christ is Lord over everything, He will make you holy. He'll make you blameless. He'll make you above reproach. Verse number 23, if you continue in the faith. Now this isn't a verse that says you can lose your salvation, though some erroneously use it that way. It's saying if you keep on in doctrine, living it out every day, if you keep knowing God's Word, stowing God's Word, showing God's Word, continue on. Grounded and steadfast. Not in and out. In and out. In and out. Well, my, my life's fell in the barrel. Put me on the prayer list. I'm back in. All right. Doctor gave me a good report. I'm back out. He says, no, that's not the plan. Grounded and steadfast. And are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which Paul says... I'm a minister of. She's the only way, friend, you can be presented that way, holy and blameless and without spot, that is, without reproach, is if, if Christ continues to be Lord of your life. Now, now, understand this. If you've been saved, you're going to heaven one day. Nothing can change that. The question is, how are you going to end up there? What's your testimony going to be? What's your life going to be like? What are you going to present at the judgment seat of Christ? Because that's not in the songs. You know, we're, we're all going to fly away, and hallelujah, it's going to happen. And we're all going to glory. But the Bible also teaches the truth, friend, this, that you're going to go in a condition. If you're saved, you're saved, you're going. But you're either going to go holy, you're either going to go without reproach and blameless, or you're going to go as a half-in, half-out Christian. You're going to go as a Christian that the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15, that is saved so as just by fire. That is, friend, 
you, you've got nothing to lay at the feet of Jesus. Nothing what's there. And the Bible promises in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, that we're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And that can put some pressure on you. You say, I mean, well, how can I live a life of faithfulness? Stay with me. How, how can I live a life that's going to be pleasing to the Lord? Not embarrassing me. I, how am I going to do this? Friend, here's the great news. If, if you're with me, if you're still awake, say amen. Because I'm already starting to drift. I mean, it's 4 o'clock. Stay with me. So how can, I, how can I do this? All the pressure's on me. Here's the good news. Are you ready for it? I don't do it. He does it through me. Here it is. Listen. If I, as, as I daily just con continue to submit my life to His Lordship, I know His Word, I stow His Word, I show His Word, He makes me into the person that He wants me to be, and friend, he will present me a finished product in heaven and I don't have to worry about doing everything because he's going to do it in spite of me as I yield myself to him every day. Isn't that great? So that takes all the pressure off. But it's, 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 all about, it's all about lordship. It's all about lordship. And that's what Paul was trying to remind this church of. They thought all this doctrine floating around and don't forget, there were probably already people in the church saying, well, hey, it'd be easier just, listen, it's no big deal just to say Caesar's Lord. It was a big deal. Because he wasn't Lord, only Jesus was. So there were probably some people that were on, and so Paul's trying to remind them that lordship matters. I'm going to ask you a question. Everybody look at me. We're going to the invitation right now. Is Jesus Lord of your life today? Not according to the world's doctrine of lordship and the, 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 the 2 Timothy 4, whatever church definition, by Christ's definition of lordship, is Jesus Lord of your life today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Has he ever been Lord? Ever, ever once. Has Christ been Lord of your life? Ever once. If he hasn't, friend, you've never been born again. I cannot say it strongly enough and with enough conviction, friend, to tell you, you must be born again. Affiliation with the church and being part of a godly family matters nothing when it comes to salvation. You must have your own personal relationship with God through Christ. If you've never repented and by faith called out to Jesus and said, Lord, forgive me a sinner, be Lord of my life, you need to do that right now. The Bible says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Today's the day of salvation. God wants you to be saved today. So if you've never trusted Christ, won't you do it right now? Just humbly bow your head before Him with our heads bowed and our eyes closed and just cry out to Him for mercy today. Pray just like this. God, forgive me of my sin. I believe the truths of your word that I've heard today, that Jesus died for me, that Jesus rose again, and I want Jesus to live in my heart and be Lord of my life. That's my confession today. I'm going to stand here at the front in just a minute if you prayed that. And I want to encourage you in what God wants to do next now in your life. Would you not be bold and step forward in just a minute when they begin to sing? Say, I prayed that prayer. I've trusted Christ. You say, I know I've been saved. But I've got to be honest. Because God's going to be, Jesus is not Lord of my life today. What sin stands between you and the Lord?
sins of commission or is it sins of omission? Things you're not doing that you should do. Do you have an idol in your life? An idol is anything, friend, that you love and honor and serve more than Jesus. Do you have more time and attention to than you do the Lord? Is Jesus Lord of your life? If He's not, deal with it right now. God's shining a light on it. Might this be your prayer this afternoon? Father, thank you for the many opportunities, Lord, you give us when we fail and we stumble. Your word promises that if we'll confess our sins, you're faithful, you're just, you'll forgive us, God. God, I'm confessing my sin. You've not been first in my life. I confess what it is. I confess these things. And I turn from it. I want to leave this place, God, in a right relationship with you again. Oh, Jesus, be Lord of me. Be Lord of my family. Be Lord of my time. Be Lord of my finances. Be Lord of my abilities. Be Lord of everything. You already are Lord. But be Lord of me today. That's my prayer. That's my confession. Father, challenge your church. Speak to us. Encourage us. Lord, what are challenging days. Many of us have not seen times like this in our world like we're seeing right now. But God, we pray we'll stay faithful and we'll stay focused on the mission that's before us. And that's to reach people with the gospel, to continue to teach those who have been saved your word and to encourage others along the way. Keep us focused. Help us to stay faithful. It's all about lordship. Challenge us now. It's in Christ's name we pray. Let's reverently stand our feet.